Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. So it's been said that culture eats strategy for breakfast, and I happen to believe that that's a fairly wise statement. If that's true, then we all need to be paying a lot more attention to culture, and in particular, what we know about what creates a winning culture. So that's the focus for today. We're going to start with talking about what does it look like, really? How do you know if you've got it? And more importantly, how do you begin to transform whatever you have as a culture into one that is truly a winning culture? My guest today, Chris Kengelosi, is partner and founder of Gotham Culture, and he's an expert in the fields of leadership and organizational development with a focus focus on helping leaders shape high-performing cultures, but in ways that create sustainable, large-scale change. And Chris has worked across a whole range of industries with companies such as Martha Stewart Living, Omnimedia, Google, JetBlue Airways, Marriott International, Nando South Africa, Sonos, and the New York Metropolitan Transportation Authority, just to name a few. And Chris has been a guest before. We're delighted to welcome him back this time to talk about his sweet spot, which is high-performing cultures. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wanda. It's so nice to be with you again. It's a pleasure. I am so looking forward to this one because everybody knows culture matters, but we don't know how to count. I mean, we don't know how to measure it. We don't know how to say, is it right or is it wrong? And more importantly, we don't know how to transform it and transform it. So this is a hugely important topic. So let's start at the top. In your view and in your experience and in your research, what do high performance cultures really look like? And by that, I want to know what are people doing and saying? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, people, people want an easy answer to this kind of a question. And, and unfortunately, there's no easy answer. I mean, in truth, quote unquote, high performing culture can look like a lot of things, right? Um, there is a wealth of empirical research out there that helps us understand what, what commonalities all high performing organizations um, have and what they do to drive results, right? So we have, you know, we know that empowering people, um, clarifying and articulating and inspiring vision, um, ensuring that your people have the knowledge, skills, abilities, and tools to do what you're asking of them. These are all things that are important to driving performance, but they can manifest or look very, very different from organization to organization, right? So the real question, in my opinion, is what behaviors do you need in your organization to drive your business strategy forward? And as your business strategy evolves, the answer to that question will likely evolve as well. So, you know, helping you under, really kind of helping you understand that culture is a, ever-evolving source or foundation that drives behavior is a different way of looking at it. It needs to evolve as your business strategy evolves in order to ensure that you're driving the right behaviors to lead to success. 
Okay, so if I'm leading a business, how frequently do I need to reevaluate whether we've got the right culture to drive forward the business strategy? Is this an annual exercise, more often, less often? I'm going to give you the typical consultant response, Wanda. It depends. (laughs) It's something that needs to be baked into your normal operating cadence. Um, I don't necessarily think it needs to be on a um, specific calendar schedule. You know, it's really tough to engage in a culture conversation when everything is going really well because you've figured Mm -hmm. out how to succeed in your current environment. What's challenging is when the environment, either external to you or internal to you, changes significantly and you begin to rely on the same old behaviors that have led to success in the past and they no longer achieve the results you're used to seeing, that's when people begin to say, oh my gosh, you know, we, need to, we need to look at our culture. So high-performing organizations are those that look out past the dashboard and they're looking out into the horizon and seeing what things in the environment are going to potentially threaten the way they achieve success. And they're proactive about looking at what types of behaviors they're going to need to begin to develop within their organization to be successful. So, you know, I think back, you know, think about every great typewriter manufacturer, right? They were great if they didn't see the advent of computers coming down the the road and they weren't able to adapt quickly enough to a changing external technological advancement, they either had a great deal of suffering and pain trying to evolve or they ceased to exist altogether. So high-performing organizations are those that are able to kind of get out of the day-to-day, see what's coming down the pike and anticipate what will be needed and begin to evolve and adapt in preparation for those things. And in today's you know, rapidly um, innovative world of technology. I mean, technology is advancing at such rapid rates that this is a really a continuous process. That would make sense to me because one of the things, you know, everybody's talking about VUCA or VUCasts, as we just recently said last week, because it's um, the scale as well as the transparency of everything that's going on, the S&T that adds to that. So we know that there's a ton of change And we know that there's chaos that's happening constantly. And we know that crises are happening everywhere, every week. Companies that think they're immune are suddenly finding themselves in the midst of a headlines crisis. And if you're not doing that continuous check-in and anticipation, then it's going to hit you at some point, I think, and hit pretty hard. So that makes sense to me that it would be an evolving culture. Okay, so Chris, let me flip the tables on you. Because I'm not going to just let you get away with the high-performing culture really depends upon what you're trying to achieve. Are there behaviors of cultures that are detrimental to being high-performing? There are. Um, And I think it goes back to, again, that kind of high-level viewpoint, right? If If you are not achieving your business goals and your business strategy, you have to kind of ask yourself, what are we doing that, uh, what are we doing or what are we not doing that we need to reevaluate? And that can be a challenging question. And I think the bottom line for me here, Wanda, is that we're not focusing on culture for culture's sake. We're not focusing on or defining culture as 
free snacks in the break room necessarily. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about here is framing the culture conversation arm in arm with your business strategy and what you're hoping to achieve. So a quote unquote low performing culture is one that is uh, not able to sustainably create behavior change required to achieve your strategy. Now, there's a lot of research around organizational culture and organizational functioning where we know that, <clears throat> excuse me, high-performing organizations are those that empower people, right? right. Um, conversely, those that are lower-performing are those that are um, stovepiped, hierarchical. I always think of the example of, you know, you... you traveling in an airport like, like we consultants do fairly, fairly regularly, there's a delay or your flight gets canceled and you go to the customer service counter to get um, an issue resolved. Um, you know, if they can handle your situation at the first touch point, that's, that's going to have a significant impact. Um, I always think about, you know, the, the horror stories of airlines where you have to talk to 10 supervisors to get something done. Uh, organizations that are doing that are tend to be lower performing. There's any number of behaviors that can that can contribute to this though. Right, right. That makes sense to me. So the principle is that we have empowerment, that customer problems can get handled and resolved for the most part at the first touch point rather than we have to involve layer after layer after layer and time and money and frustration there. Okay, I get that one. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, but, you know, the way in which in kind of continuing on this empowerment, which is a very specific example, but continuing on that topic, we know empowerment is important, but it can look very different, right? If we go into a tech startup, empowerment is going to manifest very differently than if we go into the Japanese Navy. But empowerment is still important. So it doesn't really matter how you get there or how it manifests so long as it's driving the right behaviors for you to achieve your strategy. So culture, the study of culture is not an, a judgment or indictment. It's trying to figure out what behaviors you're currently engaged in that may continue to serve you well in the future, and which ones do you need to kind of retire and put in the museum and say, they got us here, but they're not going to get us in our next chapter. What do we need to be doing to evolve? Okay. Okay. All right. So can you give me an example of a company or an organization that you've worked with where you go in and sort of say, here's what your culture needs to begin to evolve to in order to be prepared for what's coming? Sure. I'll give you an example. Um, a professional services organization I worked with a couple of years back. Uh, in fact, it was two professional services organizations that uh, had recently merged and what okay. they were experiencing was they, you know, for all the financial benefits of merging and consolidating and becoming one of the, you know, largest uh, players in their industry for professional services, um, you know, folks were very energized and excited. And, you know, this is not uncommon. When you, when you see the opportunity, you tend to fall prey to confirmation bias, and you're looking for information that's going to help you confirm that you made the right decision. <clears throat> so these two groups merged. 18 months later, I get a phone call saying, hey, we merged. We're not achieving the financial performance that we'd anticipated. There are still 
really big differences between both legacy employees. In fact, they refer to each other as their legacy company. Mm-hmm. So they weren't integrated. They were two companies that had been very successful each in their own right. Um, so they're looking at objective performance indicators and saying, this is a great business opportunity to merge. What they failed to see or recognize is that both of those companies achieved great success through very different paths. One had done it over years of organic growth. The other had done it through years of merger and acquisition activity. So Mm -hmm. though they were both in a similar place in terms of performance, they had both taken very separate paths in terms of believing what the right way to do work was. Neither is wrong, right? It's not a judgment. They were both successful. But when you're trying to integrate these two cultures, um, you really begin to see the cracks once people start operating in the way they're used to operating. Um, And that's where we had to really step in and help hold the mirror up to help these uh, members of this organization understand what each legacy culture brought to the table in terms of the the quote-unquote right way to do things and help them engage in dialogue around based on where they want to go from a business strategy standpoint. What do they need to integrate? And their approach in this particular example was a kind of a best of both approach. They were mm-hmm. both willing to say, hey, we're going to take some, you know, a little bit from here and a little bit from there, and we're going to kind of integrate both together. Um, but it took, uh, it took quite a bit of time for people to um, really sit down and engage in dialogue and understand what what beliefs and assumptions and behaviors they may need to have kind of uh, leave behind in order to prosper moving forward. Right. And did they succeed? I mean, a couple of years on, do you feel like it was successful transformation of their cultures? Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of a subjective question. I mean, in my opinion, they succeeded because they are, you know, performance wise, they are performing, they're high performing and they're delivering on their expectations. Um, you know, I haven't been in touch with them in the, in the last year or so. Uh, it would be interesting to talk to some folks in the organization to see uh, how that integration has gone on. Um, you know, but, but from a performance standpoint, I would say it has been successful, yeah. Fabulous. Hey, if, even if it's just temporary successful, that's a pretty good thing because, you know, the environment can change in a couple of years and everything sort of, you got to adapt with it again. All right. So uh, well, we right. both see this over and over and over again, a merger of two companies where you would say from the outside at the very beginning two dramatically different cultures don't know how that's going to work. And over time, right. people just identify with their former legacy company. And I've seen companies 15 years after the fact, they're still identifying themselves as X company or Y company. In their first words of introduction, hello, I come from blah, or I come from, "Mm." it's, you know, and that was 15 years ago. We're still talking about that? Seriously? (laughs) That's right. But we see that all the time. That organizational identity for a long, long time. So presumably the way for doing this is helping people get attached to, you started with three things that you needed to do. One was empower and two was vision. So to that sense of where we can be in the future, where we want to go, what results we're trying to achieve, what kind of a place we're trying to be, that getting them attached to that vision is what's going to make a difference. That, I mean, those are, those are 
um, only a couple of specific examples. There are a lot of different things that high-performing organizations tend to do better than lower-performing organizations. Um, I think some of the some of the research that that I really uh, found a lot of value with over my career was done by um, Dan Dennison, the University mm-hmm. of Michigan. Uh, I think one thing uh, that I really appreciate about uh, about his research is he really was the the first person to identify aspects of organizational culture that that are l- empirically linked to business performance. Right? There's a lot we could study when we study culture. We're not anthropologists. We're not going in and doing ethnographic studies. Uh, because that doesn't necessarily drive business value. Business leaders want to use culture as a lever to drive performance. So Dan's research really um, was meaningful to me in that aspect um, of really identifying of all the things you could study when you're studying culture, let's, let's focus on the things that we know drive performance. Okay. All right. And those are? Oh gosh! Uh, so we talked about kind of creating a creating a clear shared vision, um, making sure that we have a clear, clearly planned and articulated strategy, so people across the organization understand where we're going. Um, kind of most tactically, do people understand clearly in terms of their goals and objectives how their day to day behaviors are contributing to the organization's success? Um, are we able to uh, innovate? Are we able to um, be agile enough to adapt in order to meet changing customer needs? Mm-hmm. Kind of conversely to that, do we have stability in our organization? Are we able to deliver on our brand promise? Do we have systems and processes that create leverage and scalability? Um, and then finally, around kind of the employee base, right? We might know, have a clear idea of where we're headed, but when we get to the top of the hill and we look around, is anybody else with us, right? Are we, are we arming people with the knowledge, skills, and abilities and tools to do their job? Are we empowering them to make decisions and drive the business forward? Um, are we able to learn from our mistakes or do we find ourselves blowing out that same candle over and over and over? And this is, this model is really based on the competing values model. And this is something that I find fascinating because you think about highly successful organizations or leaders, right? They need to be able to develop systems and processes, the stability to kind of deliver consistent um, products or services, but they also need to manage this tension of being adaptable, being flexible in order to meet changing requirements in the environment, right? We also need to provide clarity in terms of where we're headed, but dynamically opposed to that, we need to make sure people are informed, engaged, and given the right tools to be able to deliver on that. And if we're too far one way or the other, we run the risk of failure. High-performing organizations, according to Dan's research, are those that are best able to manage those dynamic tensions. Uh, same thing for leaders, right? If leaders are too, their pendulum swings too far one way or the other, they run the risk of um, failure in the long term. That's what makes being a leader or being in an organization really difficult because all of these things are important, but they're always pulling at each other. 
That's it's an interesting point that you make here yet again, Chris. Um, I am coming to believe that everything that makes for great leadership in any capacity is a management of the tension between polar opposites. So we talk right. about that in terms of being strategic and innovative and visionary and all that sort of jazz and also being operational, hands on the ground, standard operating procedures, people know what their role in their job is, you're paying attention to the small details that make the organization run. That's one of the things you're talking about. But, you know, there's also, it shows up in so many different ways, like the need to be a little bit vulnerable, but not too vulnerable, and the need to have a lot of confidence, but not too much confidence. Um, Or the need to be gentle and supportive with people and open and listening and in being influenced and also they need to be really clear what you want and demanding and kind of you know push people a little bit harder it's tensions everywhere swing or lean heavily in one way or another at certain times but if you lean too heavily or rely too much on one of them at the sake of the other you open yourself up to risk That's right. All right. So in this case, you talked about the ability to be flexible and at the same time stable. So adaptable, change, nimble a bit, and at the same time standard operating procedures so that we know what we're doing and how we're doing it. And you also talked about the clarity of the vision, the know where we're going, what's ahead of us in the future, and the tools to deliver right now on the ground. So again, that sense of the tensions. I can see that one. Um, Chris, is there, do you have a methodology for assessing the fit of the culture to the organization's strategy? We do. And, and you know, we have a preferred methodology, but, but, you know, the caveat here is that every situation is a little bit different. So, you know, yep. we have to be adaptable to the current context. And, uh, you know, the best example I can give there is, you know, typically what we want to do as researchers is conduct a mixed methods study. Yep. So what I mean yep. by that is both quantitatively assessing it and qualitative, qualitatively assessing it. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, uh, not to be a, a sales rep for Dan Dennison, but my preferred quantitative assessment is Dan's. Um, organizational culture survey for a wide variety of reasons, but primarily because his factors of organizational culture have been empirically linked to performance. So if right. you're talking to a business leader about culture, you know, what you may get is, well, that's the stuff, squishy stuff. That's the people stuff. That's not really important. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's actually really critical to driving your business performance. And here's how. So, mm-hmm. That's, you know, from a quantitative perspective, it gives you the ability to um, create a visual that you can then test against over time to measure your change. Okay. That's great. Surveys are wonderful. They're powerful, but they also have some gaps. So being able to quantify some things is great, but you're not getting the story behind the story. And when Mm -hmm. you're talking about Mm -hmm. organizational culture, you're really talking about the underlying beliefs and assumptions that people are holding to be true about how to get work done. When you're assessing via survey, you're asking people about their perceptions in the work environment. So you're asking people about things that are visible to them, things that they experience. That's great. That does cover culture. It begins to peel back the onion uh, it also covers a lot of things around kind of organizational climate, which is part of culture, but a distinct component. Um, in order to really peel back the onion, we do that qualitatively. So, 
for example, I want to understand what stories are told in an organization. So we know that stories for eons have been a way to communicate ideas and values between people. Every organization has stories. They're not going to be in your onboarding employee handbook. They're not going to be something pasted on the wall. But they're a huge indicator of what's valued in the organization. So I might tell you when you come to work at my company, Wanda, hey, a story about somebody who got punished or fired for doing something. There's a reason for that, right? There's a lesson. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, hey, this organization does not value that behavior. Or conversely, a story about someone who was revered and loved in the organization. It's reinforcing subtly what the organization values and how to be successful in the organization. So there's a lot of these kind of qualitative aspects that need to be understood in order to kind of create the shared understanding or make it explicit for people in the organization, right? I don't, I don't judge a culture. I want to help okay. my clients understand what their culture is, why it's that way, and how it may help or hinder them in driving their performance moving forward. Okay. So my job is to hold up the mirror, and my job is to actively engage as many people in that client organization as possible in understanding the culture. The culture does not, um, is not created by one person. It's created by the collective over time as they learn what works and what doesn't work in their environment. So my belief is in order to understand it and in order to evolve it, it must be done through the collective. It can't be done by a sub-team in a basement somewhere. Um, it's just not going to work. Okay. That's interesting. It's interesting. So I agree with you. The culture is not just one single person, though I have certainly seen one person have a negative effect on the culture, meaning on people's moods. But I like your notion that the culture is really the assumptions and beliefs that we all hold about what's been successful in getting work done around here. And it's something we collectively have learned over time, which explains why it tends to survive even after you change a lot of the players in the mix. So this notion that you go in and look at the stories, you get a lot of people to talk about the stories um, of what's it like to work here or what succeeds here. Did I get that right? That's how you do it? That, yeah, and that's just one example. I re- we'll do archival yeah. data reviews. We'll look at um, the history of organizational communications, mm-hmm. right? Because the way people communicate with each other is going to tell us or give us clues about what is valued and what isn't valued. There's a lot of different things we can look at. Those are just some specific examples. Right. But, you know, right. you made an interesting point there um, uh, just a moment ago about kind of, you know, one person being able to change the mood. Um, it's a really good point. And, and I think that is a really great example of the difference between organizational culture and a subcomponent of culture, which is organizational climate, right? So organizational climate is really a, a much more narrow kind of slice of culture, and it's those kind of internal characteristics that influence behavior, right? And it distinguishes one group from another. So you might see, if you're in a large organization, you might see across different units or geographies uh, when you walk into those offices, they have a very different feel to them 
Right. And a lot right. of that can be directly influenced by the local leaders, right? They're able to um, do things locally that work within the bounds of the organizational culture, but that change the climate, mood, and the way employees experience work in the day-to-day. So I think this is where many business leaders um, find frustration. You know, they talk about wanting to change the culture, but what they're really talking about is wanting to change the climate. Uh, Changing the climate is faster, it's easier, it's more observable, um, and it's within the local leader's power to do that to a large extent. Changing the culture really has to occur over time as people experiment with new behaviors and learn what works and what doesn't work. Right? It's the collective learning that happens over time. Now, when an organization is in a crisis, they're much more apt to try new behaviors. Uh, when an organization is in a situation where they're doing everything really well and, and things are going great, it can be more difficult for them to, to say, hey, time out. You know, we are living large, making the best typewriters in the world. We need to really think about what's coming down the pike that's going to disrupt us, right? The advent of the computer. Um, that's where it can be difficult for, for business leaders to kind of really see the value in mm-hmm. organizational culture. Mm-hmm. That, uh, this is an interesting point, Chris, that I've quite honestly never heard anybody articulate as clearly, and that the climate is much more the mood, the feeling of what it's like being in a local group, which might be a local office, it might be a satellite country office, or it might just be a subgroup within a headquarters operation. And that can be influenced by the local leader. But this is just the feeling, I guess, is the right way of saying it, of what it's like to work here. Whereas the culture is much more than just the climate. I I like this notion that it's the collective learning over time about what works. And that sometimes we're willing to test and therefore learn faster, and other times we're not willing to test very much, and therefore we don't learn so quickly or change so quickly. And good and bad on that one. That's a re- I just like that distinction. Very well done. Thanks. Everyone, and and in today's kind of business world, or in the world we live in, you know, you hear a lot. I mean, constantly about resiliency, agility, VUCA, all of these concepts is because people are realizing that their environments are, are changing so fast, it's actually coming to the point where people, the people in the systems can't keep up with the change. So we need to be resilient. We need to be adaptable. We need to be, you know, and these are all concepts that are, that are coming to the highlight because people are so stressed out trying to continuously adapt to the, the pace of change. It's withering in many organizations. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you see that, you know, at a simplest level, you see that how many managers have had in the last 12 to 18 months and just the amount of energy it takes to adapt to a new leader. You can understand why people are exhausted. That's only one type of change. And we're seeing tons of that all over everywhere. Okay, Chris, let's take a break. Um, So with me today is Chris Cangelosi. Chris, as you've understood, works at Gotham Culture, and he's a specialist in helping organizations shape high-performing cultures in ways that drive sustainable, large-scale change and ultimately yield results. 
I think that's a great way to say it. And I think my big aha in this segment is this breakdown between culture and climate. The notion that climate is a little bit more about the feeling in the local group, working with a local leader, whereas culture is collective learning over time, what we have all learned about what works here and what doesn't work here. All right. So when we take a break, when we come back, I want to talk about, so how do you begin the transformation process in your own culture? We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network if you want more information on the articles books coaching and seminars we offer go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com you're sure to find some helpful links videos and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization leadership forum inc helping organizations get it and keep it is your work-life balance in most businesses no matter where you are positioned there is always room for improvement if you're an executive learn insight about your business are you an employee learn how to better work with your team even if you're not in business you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential the work-life balance with host rick morris can be heard live every friday at 5 p.m eastern time 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Chris Kangelosi, and we are talking about culture, high-performing culture. And the secret here is it's not just culture for the sake of culture. It's really the culture you need in order to achieve your business strategy and drive forward. And so this is not a day-to-day operations or an immediate today operation so much as it is a looking out on the horizon. Where is it that we need to go? What is it that's going to make us successful? And a slowly beginning to adapt the culture from one place to the another. And as you just heard in the last segment, Chris made a very important distinction for me about the difference between organizational climate, which is sort of the mood or feeling, from the culture, where the culture is the collective learning about what is going to work for getting work done here and what's not going to work. So, okay, Chris, lovely discussion. I really like those distinctions. I get how you come in and do a bit of an analysis to understand the culture, both the climate and the culture and the stories that people tell and a variety of other pieces to it. So let's say now 
I've done the analysis. I've got the report. I see ahead of me that the culture I need isn't the one, the culture I have isn't the one I need to achieve where we're going in the next three to five years. How does one go about making a change in the culture? Where do we start? Yeah, great question. So I think the first point that comes to mind is that um, there is no organization that is that currently exists that necessarily needs to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Um, these organizations have, you know, many of them been successful for many, many years. Uh, they may not be achieving the performance they want to achieve today, uh, but that doesn't mean that everything they do needs to be changed. So the first step is really identifying what has worked for us and what will continue to serve us well. Um, and then really focus in on usually a minority of things that need to be considered to do differently. <clears throat> okay. So the first step, again, you know, in, in my personal view, culture is different than a lot of other concepts that um, organizational leaders grapple with because it's a collective concept. It's not an individual concept. It also formed over many years of lessons learned in the environment. So you can't necessarily expect that it's going to change overnight, like climate can change, right? A big news event, positive or negative, can change the mood in your organization with a snap of a finger. That's not necessarily the same thing as culture. So mm-hmm. you're understanding where your strategy is, you're understanding where your current culture is, engaging the collective in dialogue around what that means. It's a great way to help your staff under, really understand where your organization's going and why, and why they may need to do things differently, as opposed to just kind of top-down changes, change that, and people are not really connecting the dots. So the In many ways, the process is the destination. Uh, The process is an intervention in and of itself, uh, merely going through this process. So that's something important to keep in mind. I think the, the big thing here is there's a couple things to keep in mind, right? So identifying and acknowledging that there's a need to change the way things are done is not um, necessarily an indictment of the past. The past is what you got you to where you are, and in all likelihood, it's been a critical part to your organizational success in the past. But there are certain things in the environment, internal or external, um, that, that are making our current way of doing things less effective. Um, okay. The second thing is that, you know, we've touched on this earlier, is that culture is evolved based on lessons learned. So as people collectively experience success and failure, they're going to evolve the way they think about how things need to be done. This can often be really hard in organizations that have been successfully operating for a long, long time and then are suddenly disrupted. Uh, You'll see many of these organizations can't make that leap to the new way of behaving and they continue to try to exhibit the same behaviors that worked for them in the past over and over and over and they go nowhere, right? Uh, or they cease to exist. I think the third thing for me is that there is no right culture. There's a lot of different ways to success. So this is, this is an area where, you know, I hear this a lot with clients is, hey, we want a culture like ABC company. 
or we want to put foosball tables in, right? Well, that's great, uh, but measuring yourself against another organization from a culture perspective, I think personally is a slippery slope because what worked for them or what works for them is not necessarily going to work for you. Um, and then the final point is, you know, it's an ongoing process, right? So as the environment changes, we need to keep looking at this and asking ourselves these questions. Now, in, the, in decades past, things changed. This kind of significant disruptive change was less frequent. So to your question about how often should I be looking at culture, you know, if you'd asked me 50 years ago, it might be, you know, every couple of years just kind of take stock. But in the way things are changing, largely due to technological advancements, um, different industries are getting disrupted left and right on a daily basis. So this is not really an activity that you do. It's not necessarily your annual process. Uh, this is something where business leaders want to and need to be paying attention to this as much as they're paying attention to other business metrics. That's why, in my opinion, you're seeing a lot of these um, organizational surveys move more towards pulse surveys. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's get a continuous pulse of the organization. And culture is no different. It is, we, can, we can understand the climate, understand the culture um, uh, to the best extent possible in order to be, make explicit decisions on what we need to be thinking about in the future. Those organizations are one step ahead of the other organizations that are not thinking about it. Because you're going to have a culture one way or the other. That question is, are you going to actively try to evolve and manage it, or are you just going to deal with what you end up with? Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> I know what people would probably like to say. The question is, what do they actually do in there in terms of actively evolve and manage? Okay, the concepts make a lot of sense to me, Chris. So just to repeat, this notion of, and I really like this idea that a lot of what we've done in the past is still right. So this is not an indictment of all the things we've done wrong in the past. This is an acknowledgement of a new future, a new step forward that requires something a little different. And I think people are much more open to that kind of change other than feeling like, well, what have I done wasting my time the last 10 years? So I like that to recognize what is good about what we're doing and then what is the minority of things that need to change and why. And I like this notion also that it has to be a collective experience. It's not a matter of just bringing in food or foosball tables or um, nap rooms or any of the other fads. Those might work. They might not work for your culture. So it's a matter of what you need. There's no right answer, and it has to be an ongoing process. That all makes a ton of sense to me. Okay, so now I need a tangible example. Give me an example of a company you've worked with who did transform the culture and tell me what that process was like. How did they get from A to B? Absolutely. So I, you know, the example that first popped into my head when you asked that question was um, a large government agency, if you can believe it or not. Um, most folks think of the government as kind of very bureaucratic and slow-moving, and uh, I worked with a uh, a large government agency for many, many years, um, their senior leader really kind of got it. He understood that in order to drive it, this very large organization um, into the future, that they needed to really understand um, how their culture needed to evolve. So 
what they did, you know, long story short, <clears throat> is they, they embarked on, I'll call it a strategical and, a strategical, a strategic and tactical um, action plan, for lack of a better term. So there were tactical things that happened within each of the business units and business work teams where sub-teams would understand the culture of the organization and understand the culture and climate of their specific working group. And then they would un- try to figure out what was within their sphere of influence and control that they could change at their tactical or local level. And this, these are, tend to be quicker hits. They tend to be um, things that um, can be done very quickly and can change the the work environment, the mood, the climate, right? So those people are taking an active role in not only understanding how they need to evolve, but taking an active role in actually creating the change. So that's kind of the tactical. At the strategic level, this is where a lot of organizations kind of don't get to this part. Mm -hmm. The strategic level, the organization needed to really take a look at their systems and processes and how their systems and processes needed to evolve in order to reinforce the new behavior. So I'm going to give you an example. And this is not from this client, but let's take uh, you work in a for-profit company and you notice that your sales team, they're all uh, compensated on individual performance, right? You get paid on what you sell. Not an uncommon model. Mm-hmm. What you're noticing is that people within this sales organization kind of are exhibiting kind of a, you know, I'm going to get mine and forget you type of behaviors Mm -hmm. and attitude, right? I don't really care about you, Wanda. You're going to get compensated on what you sell. I'm going to get compensated on what I sell. So what the unintended consequence is we're not collaborating, we're double hitting the same leads, we're maybe even throwing each other under the bus in order for our own individual benefit. Uh, so, you know, the CEO says, hey, we need to change this. We're, gonna, we're going to um, refresh our organizational values, and one of our values is going to be collaboration. Well, that's great. You know, supervisors can, can reinforce collaboration. Um, you know, they can, they can do tactical activities that are going to kind of reinforce that message. But... You know, and I'll ask you, Wanda, I mean, if we don't change the sales rep's comp model, how long do you think they're going to be collaborating? Um, About as long as it takes them to realize that they're not getting paid as well. Exactly. So, you know, those are all great activities and actions and all can be meaningful. But if you're not involving the systems and processes that really reinforce sustainable behavior change, they're not going to change. They might, they might nod and smile, but they're going to go right back to what they've always done. And that's kind of the most tangible example of where the systems and processes um, need to evolve or, or all your other efforts are really quite meaningless. They're, they're, you know, that's where you start to see you know, those are values in name only. They're values on the wall. Nobody actually lives that, right? Because we're not reinforced to live that. Our culture doesn't really value that. Uh, so that sales rep example is kind of one that really kind of I think a lot of people can resonate with. Okay. 
All right. So this organization that you were looking with, this government agency, we look at the tactical. So this is your collective effort in many ways where we get people to both understand how we need to evolve and why, and then to create change that's within their own sphere of control at a very local level that tactically changes probably more so the climate maybe some of the methods and processes, and maybe ultimately the culture in terms of how we get things done here. But then also strategically, we're taking a look at all of our systems and processes, those that are documented and those that are not, those that are software-enabled and those that are human-centric, and making sure that those are fit for purpose for where we're going, not just refresh the values. Is that a fair statement? That is absolutely right. And that's what makes it really complex and hairy, uh, yeah. but it's it's yeoman's work. But it needs to be done. Uh, if yeah. you you know if your if your rewards and recognition system is not aligned with the behaviors you're trying to uh, get from folks, they're not going to exhibit those behaviors, right? Right. Um, right. You know, if your performance management system is not aligned, right? I mean, you, it's a very very intuitive, you know to realize that, you know, if you're not creating the structure to reinforce what you're trying to go for, people are going to be very, very likely to slip back into old behaviors because that's what they are used to doing. That's what they know. In many cases, that's what their professional identity is wrapped up in. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, my success, right? I've been successful at this in the past. So that's you're asking exactly me now to right. be unsuccessful. Okay. All right. And so let me maybe, give you a case. Maybe I might not be able to do what you're going to ask me to do. That's different. Yeah. yeah, that's a different story. I agree with that one. So let me give you a case, and I'm going to keep my client completely confidential in this one. But I have a client that, like many, care about this collaborative, the belief that if we're working collaboratively across the obvious silos in service of our clients, that's where we're really going to shine, make the best profit, have the best company, really be successful strategically. Okay, and I think the analysis has been done in this company that everybody would buy into that. Everybody says, I see what you're saying. That makes a ton of sense. There's been a lot of discussion about it. And there's been, you know, some examples about selling stories of the ways in which we have actually always done this. And they have gone as far as changing the comp system at a quite dramatic way to make sure that the comp system is not inconsistent with this notion of collaborating more with each other. Okay, so they've done some of the hard strategic work. As I listen to you talk, though, I don't think they've done enough of the collective dialogue meaning the what does that really look like for us here locally why would we do this how how would i go about doing it kind of in the thing that's under my control what am i really supposed to be doing differently what's your reaction to that or do you think there are other places this hypothetical company might have missed yeah, man, i think that's a that's a valid point and that that based on what I'm understanding you saying, it, it seems like it's more of like a top-down change, um, you know, more of a compliance type of a thing, ex- expectation of people rather than an inclusive type of a uh, process where people are understanding why that change is happening. Um, I think people would agree, by the way, that they, they like this idea. It's sort of a little bit historical for them. They like the idea. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, it, you know, what else could they be doing? It, it, you know, it, it, obviously engaging people. But I think the, the bottom line is I can cognitively understand and get on board with the need to change. I can even be courageous enough to be the first person to start experimenting with those behaviors. If I'm not getting punished, and in fact, I'm maybe getting reinforced and rewarded or recognized for that, over time, people will see that and they'll begin to feel free enough to exhibit those behaviors as well. But at the end of the day, that doesn't change the culture. What changes the culture is over a longer period of time that we all begin to see and learn that working collaboratively, collaboratively is leading to our collective success, that is when the culture has evolved, right? So that if you go back to that company in five years from now and you say, yeah. wow, you really are working collaboratively, like, give me some examples, and they're telling you stories, and they're saying, wow, because we do this, we're achieving these wonderful results, and, and you say, well, why, do you, why not work individually? And they say, well, Duh, like of course we work collaboratively. That's that's the way we do it. That's yeah. part of our secret sauce. Right. So you can only really see those changes over a longer period of time. But what they're doing is they're starting the change process, and that's where kind of people talk about cultural transformation and cultural evolution. I prefer to talk about cultural evolution. I don't personally think that we have the capability to understand the entirety of a, an organizational culture. It's so complex. It's ever-changing. Most of it is in the kind of collective unconscious. I think we can, we can only hope to kind of peel back the onion a few layers, get a look at it, and hope to make small incremental changes over time that are, you know, in the long term going to yield this kind of collective learning, if that makes sense. Great. Great. Chris, sadly, we are like one minute until out of time. I think this is fascinating. I've heard a lot of people talk about culture. I've thought about it a lot myself. I've read a ton about it myself, but I have never really framed it in this the way that you have. This notion that the culture is in the collective unconscious. It's our own collective learning over years of what has worked and why it's worked and how to get work done here. And it's not written down in a rule book anywhere, and it's not plastered on the walls either. It's just that collective mindset, storytelling, beliefs, assumptions, as you said. And any change in that is going to be an evolution process, which means it's slow over time. And I also love this notion that we have to collectively engage people if we're going to move that forward. That, To me, that is just so the essence of the of the conversation today. So, Chris, I, I developed my entire professional practice based on that philosophy. I, excellent. I get it. You did a good job pitching it to me. I've, I'm on board now. <laughs> All right. My guest today well, is Chris Cangialosi. You can learn more about Chris and his work at GothamCulture.com. And, um, Chris, thank you so much for being a guest today. Oh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Wanda. Likewise, I learned so much. So, and join us next week for another episode in how to get out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. 
Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.